have Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And if you want to find out what's going on, check out Nostalgia Highway. Right, fellas? Right. Yeah. Give me a hole, guys. Hello! Gentlemen, start your engines. Coming to you from somewhere along the Ohio-West Virginia border, welcome, hitchhikers, to Nostalgia Highway, the movies you know from the guys you don't, or the No Frills Movie Review Podcast, where we are closing out March and Buddy Comedy Month. We opened with the Jim Carrey classic Dumb and Dumber last show, which, by the way, we actually have the Lord's rating on that, and we do, in fact, have a genuine NHP stamp on it, with him giving it an 8 out of 10. The Lord stamped it. Stamped it. But tonight, we are bringing to you the movie that taught us that America is all about speed. Hot, nasty, badass speed. Eleanor Roosevelt said that back in 1936. Kids, look it up. The internet tells no lies. That's what Abraham Lincoln said. <laughs> I am your host, the Mayor Matt Logson, and joining me for episode 54 out here on the highway is... <laughs> and I'll tell you, I can't believe my eyes... But if it ain't Mike Honcho himself. I am Dave King of the Road, and I did not spread my butt cheeks for Playgirl Magazine. Yeah, but didn't you go topless at a local Tough Man contest in front of a packed house as a ring guy? What? No. I told you to bring that up. No. Oh. So you were were serious about that? Yeah, I'm serious. I'm not going to bring that up. You're going to edit it, right? Yeah, we'll cut this. We are in cut mode. Fucking right you will. Tonight we are reviewing Talladega Nights from 2006. I'm serious, delete that ring dude shit, man. I got you. Settle down. I'll quit playing G.I. Joe's with you if you don't. Well, so much for that secret. Whichever way this goes down, do you want to go out after this and get the big mess of crepes? What is it? Crepes? Man, you sound, <laughs> you sound pretty French right now. Are you trying to sound French? Yeah, I'm just saying if you want to go get some crepes. What's a crepes? It's like a really thin pancake. Oh, like those little thin pancakes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, should, we, should, yeah we should go get them. <laughs> I agree. All right. Well, of course, as usual, here out on the highway, spoilers ahead and behind and all around. And you're behind. <laughs> okay, Mike. Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby from 2006 is a hilarious and incredibly fun comedy that pairs Ricky Bobby and Cal Naughton Jr. to take NASCAR shenanigans to new extremes. French Formula One race car driver John Girard knocks Ricky off his high horse and sets up the showdown of the century in Talladega. Oh yeah. Shake and bake. Shake and bake. <laughs> that, that, that just, just happened. happened. <laughs> <laughs> this is another movie that it's highly quotable. Oh yeah. Very much like Dumb and Dumber. This movie is rated PG-13 with a runtime of an hour and 48 minutes. At the Hollywood premiere on July 26, 2006, with a nationwide U.S. release on August 4th on an estimated budget of $72.5 million. it made $47 million opening weekend and had a worldwide gross of $163 million. Nice. Yeah. It's pretty good. good 
IMDb has it as a 6.6 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes is 71% with an audience score of 73%. You currently can't stream this unless you pay for the YouTube TV subscription. Where you can get yeah, they have from. the... Right. Yeah, the YouTube, it's the television edit, I think, from AMC. So Amazon has it for two ninety nine. This is directed by Adam McKay, starring Will Ferrell as Ricky Bobby, John C. Riley as Cal Naughton Jr., Sasha Baron Cohen as John Girard. Did I say that right, or was that French enough? Oh, Jean we... Girard. Gary Cole as Reese Bobby, and Michael Clark Duncan as Lucius Washington. I never knew his last name was Washington. Yeah. Another Michael Clark Duncan movie, man. That's two already this year. Oh, he's a good guy. Yeah, he is. Gone too soon. He's... Yeah, man. I again, it was another one of those like, God, he's so he doesn't play like a super major part in this movie, but the parts that he has, oh man, they're funny. He's just a welcome sight in any movie, honestly. He can make you laugh or make you cry, depending yeah. on the role. That's Good right, act. boss. Yeah. So let's kick this thing off with uh, what's what's your favorite uh, funniest scenes or quotes? Well, let me just start off by quoting the late great Colonel Sanders, who said. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. <laughs> Dude, this is another one uh, that is very quotable. There's so many quotes in it. I mean, another one that's about chicken, too, and I don't know. It's stupid, but it's from Michael Clark Duncan, and it's in the very beginning. He's like, our sponsors will poop a chicken. <laughs> I don't I don't know why. That just it makes me giggle, man. And then uh, – the whole interview that Ricky does after his first race with his hands, like, I don't know what to do with my hands, you know, and just that, that whole bit was hilarious. That's something we reference, yeah. you know, to this day around here at the house. But I pull, uh, a, I pull that one at work sometimes when we're having an absurd conversation, I'll just put my hands up and, and continue talking and, and whatever absurdness we're dealing with. And then <laughs> while they're staring at my hands, like, I'm just like, I'll look at my hands, and I'll be like, yeah, I'm not sure what to do with my hands right now. That's hilarious. Another one that's referenced, I have uh, a magnet of it on uh, my uh, fridge out in the garage. It's uh, I piss excellence, you know. Here's of course, the, the deal. quote is, I wake <laughs> up more in the morning, I piss excellence. The whole thing's great, man. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I wake up in the morning, and I piss excellence. First time I heard that, I lost my shit. <laughs> I, I piss excellence. I mean, that is so arrogant and obnoxious. I love it. Pretty memorable quotes, I think, and just hilarious. I mean, it sets up the movie for what it ends up being. But what yeah. do you got? I'm always using the, uh, with all due respect, that idea ain't worth a velvet painting of a whale and a dolphin getting it on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. That is hilarious. Yes. It's one of those. I, I said with out. all due respect. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean you get to say what you want. It sure does. <laughs> it's great. So funny. And uh, dear eight pounds, six ounce, newborn, infant Jesus. Don't even oh know a God. word yet. That whole scene is just <laughs> with all the Taco Bell and the Powerade yeah. and Domino's and KFC, dude. It's just a redneck buffet, man. And then that whole prayer, uh, the kid sassing grandpa. Uh, oh, it's man. just that's hilarious. Absolutely hysterical. And you can see in like a couple of those scenes, they cut away from John C. Riley because you could tell like he's starting to lose his shit. Like he can't keep it together. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how. I mean, just being someone else, I mean, being those two kids with them going back and forth with the off the cuff stuff that they come up with, I mean, it, 
man, keeping your crap together, dude, it's got to be tough. Well, that little redhead kid uh, looked really young, and I was surprised he could do those lines as as sharply as he did them. And I checked out a couple of the uh, behind the scenes on the DVD. Uh, they showed like a test screen where they were having them do a few of the different quotes. And yeah, he was he was just solid. I mean, he was really good, you know, from the cup. But he seemed like a nice kid, you know. Well, are, did you see any of the uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid movies? Um, they've played at my house. The weird redheaded kid with glasses, Fregley, or I think it's his name. That's him. It's the same kid. Okay. Yeah. So it's always kind of funny to see Fregley go off. He's like, I'll go spider monkey on your ass. (laughs) It's funny. I'm all jacked up on Mountain Dew. (laughs) I may only be 10 years old, but I'll kick your ass. (laughs) I'll break your ass. (laughs) <laughs> Greatest generation, my ass. Tom Brokaw was a punk. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. Dude, it, that is. I mean, honestly, that might be the funniest part of the movie. I don't know. I, I, I kind of thought about this, and I don't know. There's some funny parts, but that whole that whole bit, dude, it's just yeah, it's pretty damn funny. They kind of tried to offend everybody in one scene there, I felt like. I mean, they had religious tents, and then they got to making fun of an old war veteran and <laughs> throwing yep. medals off the bridge and talking about sex in front of the kids. Like, they, they hit on some pretty some pretty hardcore topics in one scene. Yeah, it's funny as hell, man. Right. Oh, uh, another scene that I really like was the, uh, the bar scene when you first get Jean Girard's appearance in the movie with the right. I Love Crips. Yeah. <laughs> but uh I, I think my favorite line out of all of that is from the bartender and uh when he's like arguing like well why you know Jean Gerard's you know, like why do you even have jazz on the the jukebox? And he's like, Well we keep it on there for profiling purposes. We also have the pet shop boys and seal. <laughs> <laughs> God. That is so hilarious. You wanna talk about another like like scene where you're trying to offend some people. I mean, oh my God, it's so funny. The whole training bit with Reese, with oh, yeah. uh, Karen the Cougar, the blindfolded driving, the kilo of Colombian Bam Bam under the car. You know, it it's funny as hell, man. Yeah, I gotta ask you that. Is Karen the the bitch Cougar from this? Where the term "she's a Karen" started? Hmm, I don't know. But, she's a mean bitch Cougar named Karen. So I mean, that's what a Karen yeah, is, right? But this Karen prove that if you're cool she'll be cool oh, that does. so i don't know that does disqualify it from being a karen you're right <laughs> uh-oh good point no you got me there that's okay. why i asked the question i thought it was a good question you gave a good answer shut me down okay. man <laughs> oh another scene that i really thought was funny too was the the other bar scene when uh ricky and susan are there and journeys faithfully is playing in the background and She's getting all like turned on and she's kind of crawling across the table and he's like, are we about to get it on? Because I'm harder than a diamond in an ice storm right now. (laughs) And then they start making out and he turns to everybody else. He's like, everybody turn away. It's going to get crazy. We're going to make animal noises. (laughs) And then they do. (laughs) Yep. Oh my God. It's so stupid, but it's hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. I'm going to drop a bit of honesty on you about that scene. I I started to shed a tear. I was just like, you know, so proud of Ricky Bobby. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got just a little bit emotional about that scene. It was, that was good it shit. W- it would be if it wasn't so 
damn ridiculous. I mean, yeah. it just the, the cheese factor is cranked up. I mean, but it, yeah, dude, that, that's a that's a great scene in this movie. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I laughed at the end of it, but it's one of those laughter coming out of a sob, you know, type of sounds. Oh wow, it's pretty embarrassing, way to, really. Way to bring it down, Dave. You'll edit Jesus. that out too, I'm sure. <laughs> I love when fucking John C. Riley is running out on the track when Ricky's thinks he's on fire in his underwear. Yes. And he's like, don't let the invisible flames burn my friend. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Oh, my God. No, that is just, that's hilarious. John C. Riley is a nice pairing with Will Ferrell when it works. And it oh. works here. He's so, so much of a doofus. Like, he's a dope. You know? <laughs> like, he honestly... Cal Naughton Jr. would fit in perfectly with Harry and Lloyd. That's that's why I thought this would be a good match for that movie. Well, and if you think about it, I mean, and I think we even talked about this, Will Ferrell and John C. Riley are kind of like almost, I mean, I don't want to say they're a modern Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels because it's not like, you know, Jim and Jeff went and did a whole bunch of other movies together. I think they just did the sequel. But, you know, as far as the theme a- that we were going for, I mean... This was perfect. It was a perfect companion to go with. They parallel each other in the fact that Jim Carrey and Will Ferrell are, you know, at the top of their league in comedy at the time. And both of their sub-stars are just as good as them Yeah. in that particular role. So. Well, and I didn't even think about this, and it's funny because Jeff Daniels and John C. Reilly both are – known for being dramatic actors, serious actors also, and they do that well. And uh, now it's cool. I think that's why I like both those guys so much, because they have that kind of range, and it's not forced. It's it's genuine. They pull it off extremely well. Yeah, but that scene where he, where Ricky's freaking out, and he's, he's all like, Tom Cruise used the witchcraft on me to get the fire off me. And he's freaking out, dude. Oh, my God, dude. That's so funny. And he's, like, rolling down the track. God, what a fool, man. What a fool. I like the times that they tease afterwards, too, where he, well, you know, he does get out of the car again and (laughs) strip down after he's thought he was on fire. And they make light of the fact, like, how did how did they get how did he get in his underwear so fast? <laughs> yeah. They actually do that a couple times where they they point out the absurdity, you know, they make light of it, you know, with even with uh, how Cal overtook Ricky's life seamlessly, just like that, sure. you know. Um, honestly, I feel if you don't do that acknowledgement. I, I'm kind of like eye roll in it, like, oh, we're just going to glaze over this, you know? It's very, but I don't know. It's it's very minimalistic, but it's pretty clever and it works. It's pretty effective by doing it that way. So I I actually appreciate that. It's that wink wink nudge nudge to the audience, you know? Like, hey, we're having fun. You having fun? Okay, cool. Yeah, the the scene that um, where he's in the hospital and he stabs himself in the leg, all that stuff is is great too. And the fucking Mike Concho deal comes yeah. up. He's telling yes, him a fucking secret. <laughs> you know? Yes. He spread his butt cheeks as Mike Concho. Just... And I mean, when I say his bread, I mean, <laughs> you know. Oh my god, it's so funny. It's so stupid though. Well, 
something you might expect because we just did this with the uh, Dumb and Dumber episode. Let's talk about this movie and where it ranks within your top five Will Ferrell movies. Where do you, is this in your top five? Yeah, this is right at the top, man. It's hard. It's hard on those top three for him. Oh, okay. I mean, it's really hard on them top five. I think. Okay. Well, lay it on me, man. I mean, All go right, and well, however. You, if you want to go five to one, or how go go at it however you feel. All right, my top three, and and this is on any given day, could be one, two, or three. Talladega Knights, Step Brothers, and the other guys. Okay. I could I could easily think any one of those is the best. <laughs> I okay. Couldn't argue. All right. Land of the Lost has a soft spot for me. Slee Stacks. Yeah. Slee Stacks. How do you say it? Yeah. Yeah. And I've never I, seen it. What? Yeah, I've never seen it. You've I didn't watch the show really as a kid. You didn't. You didn't have to watch the show to see the movie. Well, I understand, but I mean, oh, I just—I was never a fan. I'm a little offended about that. You're gonna have to get on that one. Okay. Wow. You haven't seen Land of the Lost. Okay. Um, and Elf rounds out my top five, but Anchorman and Old School—they are definitely, you know, interchangeable <laughs> with Land of the Lost or Elf to me. Okay. Well. Like you, I, I kind of have a little bit of honorable mentions here because uh, this was a little more difficult to figure out than my Jim Carrey top five. And I actually have these ranked, but these honorable mentions, I have three of them. And Talladega Nights is one of them. It is not in my top five. It is right in the same wheelhouse of the campaign from 2012 where he's Cam Brady, the politician, with Zach Galifianakis. I like that movie. That movie's funny. Hmm. Um, oh, boy. You're offended. I could tell by that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> hey, you, okay. and, like, you and like three other people, I think, liked it. So. Oh, okay. And then I put Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back from 2001. And uh, I don't feel like it's necessarily a Will Ferrell movie. I mean, he has a fairly big part in it. But it's where I rank Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back as far as a comedy movie, I have it fairly high, but because of his smaller role in it, I don't know. But anyways, my number five movie is The Other Guys. Number four is Semi-Pro. Number wow. three is Step Brothers. And then for the two-in-one spot, it's a 1A, 1B, very much interchangeable on any given day, old school and anchor, man. Yeah, yeah that's controversial to me, but... That's okay. Cool. I mean, where, where are you at with Semi-Pro? I mean, because I, I really think it sucks. that. I think what? it sucks. I hate oh, it. Oh, man. See, that was actually one that I had low expectations for that exceeded my expectations. And I felt the same way about this one going into it. I kind of had low expectations, but honestly, the more I watched this, the more I appreciated it. I'll tell you another good honorable mention is uh, Stranger Than Fiction. That's a great movie. I've not seen that. Okay. That's one yeah. of his more, like, serious roles, isn't it? Yeah, but it's funny. Right. Well, yeah, I know it's like a it's like a dramedy, I guess, whatever you want to call it. Well, you wouldn't know. You haven't seen it. Well, no, but I know of it. Right. I think this top five's uh, causing some tension here. Well, I mean, that's okay. Uh, it's probably best that we're Skyping. I mean, we might maybe out in the, in the driveway. Give you a rap on the Jack Johnson. <laughs> I'll take you out in the backyard. <laughs> yeah, I honestly, coming into this, I was like, okay, well, this is going to be in my top five. And then I started looking at the movies, and I'm like, hmm, 
I don't know that it's going to make my top five, and it 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 doesn't. It's right there in that six, seven, eight range. Six, seven. Yeah, semi-pro. I think's the only one I can't forgive you on there. I mean, that's like picking Blades of Glory or something. Oh man, semi-pro was so funny. I mean, Woody Harrelson, just the I don't know at that the the scene where they're all playing cards and you know he calls he's like oh what was the conversation they were having he's like like he, like called him a jive turkey he's like no he uh he called you a motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> dude that scene is hilarious man that that scene cracks me up oh okay I don't know I, I just didn't like I figured Will he'd Ferrell's. be a bigger player on that I just didn't like Will Ferrell's performance in that I felt like he was kind of too much of like a Chevy Chase asshole type personality in it. And I just didn't get behind it. Mm, I, I liked it. I thought it was, I don't know, oddly appealing, you know? Okay. It was a very weird premise. And that's what I'm saying. Like when I went into it, I had very low expectations, but I was just like, man, that was actually pretty funny. It kept me pretty entertained. So well, I, I yeah. felt the storyline came second to, you know, pranks and hijinks and, there wasn't much to the meat to the bone there. Okay. Well, Talladega Nights is a racing movie, and I've never been to a NASCAR race. And I realized that you've been to one very famous race that ended in tragedy for literally every fan of the sport when Dale yeah. Earnhardt died at the Daytona 500-2001. Yep. Uh, February 18th, 2001. It was a... Uh... One week exactly after my 21st birthday, and I was in the Navy, and I never win anything. Whenever I enter like a drawing or contest, I, I don't win anything ever. And I can't remember how it all came about, but someone on the ship, they had two tickets to the Daytona 500, and they were raffling them off. And I think, I can't remember what it was, but the, I ended up paying $20, and it got me two entries to go into it. Well, turns out I ended up winning these damn tickets. And they were right off of turn two, right on the, the straightaway on the backstretch. And um, I ended up taking a buddy of mine, Mike Zanoni, with me. And uh, we ended up going down. And it was a really cool experience. I Obviously, it was, I'd never ex- had anything even comparable to this. And uh, it was really neat. Uh, I was fascinated that they didn't care. At this time, in 2001, you can bring in your own cooler. They didn't care. They didn't even search if, it. Even if you're a Jeff Gordon fan? Uh, even if you were a Jeff Gordon fan. Okay. Even if you were a Jimmy Johnson fan. Ooh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Good call. Uh, but, yeah, I, I was I was kind of blown away by that fact. And when we got there, they had the headphones that you could rent. I think it was for like $30, $35. And you could listen in on the, uh, the, the crews of each race driver. We had a good time. This was you know, really cool experience. And it comes to the last lap. And I was actually, this is where it kind of gets a little eerie, but not really. It was just, it's, it's really odd how it all played out. I was a pretty good buzz. Hold on. Did you have a pretty good buzz? going? Because you were, yes, yes, yes. The styrofoam cooler that I bought at the gas station before we got to the racetrack was nearly empty at this point, (laughs) but going into that last lap, I was listening in on Dale Earnhardt's radio. 
for his crew. Yeah. At some point during that last lap, I switched off to Dale Earnhardt Jr., who at the time was in second. Michael Waltrip was in first, and he ended up winning a race. I switched over to Dale Earnhardt Jr., and it's one of those, like, if I would have just waited for a little bit longer, you know, like, would I have, because it's been widely speculated on what happened, and, you know, you see the wreck, and you've seen way worse, and they walked away, and, you know, this one took his life, and there's been all kinds of speculations that, you know, he unhooked his safety harness, that, you know, he... I, I heard a rumor that he had some kind of terminal illness and he was just going out on his own terms. I mean, wild stuff. I've heard all kinds of weird stuff. I don't know what to necessarily believe. I Honestly, I just think it was a fluke accident and it was just an absolute tragedy. But we end up leaving the race and we end up driving a little bit ways back up towards Jacksonville and we end up stopping for the night. This was back when cell phones didn't have the best of service and reception, and I found out the next morning I had a voicemail from another buddy of mine who is a huge Dale Earnhardt and Dale Earnhardt Jr. fan, and I could tell by the tone of his voice he was really somber, and he said that, hey, before you leave, if you if you get this in time, get me a Dale Earnhardt shirt. So we get back to his house, and we walk in, and I see he had a newspaper sitting out because, you know, that's how... Some people actually got the news at one point in time. We didn't have social media. It actually got delivered to your house in paper form. And it says, NASCAR legend dies in final lap of the Daytona 500. And it's got Dale Earnhardt's car, the, you know, freeze frame crashing into the wall. And I'm like, whoa, what the hell? Like that, yeah, I mean, he wrecked, but it wasn't bad. Like right. he didn't, you know, it didn't, it didn't make sense. I mean, and he had ESPN on or whatever you know, sports network and they, I mean, it was all over the news and it was just like, Oh my God, we left the race and we didn't know. Right. We didn't know. It was the weirdest thing. I mean, and obviously, yeah, I mean, we, we had drank the entire day. So, I mean, yeah, we were drunk, but it was just, I don't know it. Everybody we encountered, there was no, it was like everybody had a poker face. There was no tell with anything and nobody was saying anything. And the first time we got confirmation was when we walked in my buddy's house and boom, right there it was. And it was just, it was crazy how it all happened. But yeah, that, uh, that was the very first NASCAR race and the only NASCAR race I had ever been to. So Damn. crazy thing. Yeah. Certainly not lucky, but you know, the fact that you only saw one race and it was one uh, of the most infamous races oh, yeah. of all time, you know, and Probably. it takes arguably the most popular nascar racer there was you know yeah. and yeah pretty crazy stuff well that's that's history man i mean you were <laughs> present for like yeah, being in the theater and seeing lincoln shot or something you know yeah it's almost yeah. to that I, level yeah i mean it's it's really weird like when because i i haven't really talked about this for a long time and it's it's really one of those things it's Man, like I, yeah, I was there when that happened, and it's like a polarizing event in sporting history, and it's just it's weird to say. I mean, because typically you get to say like, oh yeah, I saw that on TV, I saw that live, yeah. you know, I was there, I was actually there, and I was this close to listening in on the very very final moments of Dale Earnhardt's life if I wouldn't have switched over my headset to junior yeah crazy stuff man i get i i get chills just a little bit you know i'm talking about it it's weird and i'm not even really an ascar fan anymore i don't pay attention to it but 
I got wrapped up in it there for a little bit, mainly because of this. I felt connected to it, yeah. but it, it wore off. Honestly, so. I think it brought a lot of people in. I mean, a lot of Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s fans, you know, or yeah. – this was that's the they all kind of reverted to you know the intimidator fans they went to junior yeah. that's yeah. our guy now you know right got some behind the scenes things here um some interesting little tidbits producers pitched this movie idea to the studios as six words will ferrell as a nascar driver and they were like and <laughs> that's <laughs> apparently that's 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 how the pitch went it was it's that simple allegedly Will Ferrell can be funny in any kind of superstar position, it seems like. I mean, that's just kind of the way they pick his roles. Like, oh, let's see Will Ferrell as a fucking newscaster. Let's see Will Ferrell as the cowbell player from fucking Blue Oyster Cult. You know, I mean, they just stick him anywhere. This guy could make magic out of a shoe. But just like Adam Sandler, I mean, he he can kind of – he makes stinkers. He makes a plenty amount of those. Yeah. The first 400,000 PlayStation 3 game systems included a Blu-ray of this one month before the Blu-ray release. Okay. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Was that just meant to advertise for PlayStation buyers that they have a DVD player with their video game system now? I don't know. Maybe. And that was the hot movie at the time? I guess. Probably. Okay. That makes sense. Promo. NASCAR officials objected to the original title of Talladega Nights, and then the working title was then changed to the name of the production company, which was High, Wide, and Handsome. Another title that was considered was called Loud and Proud. And uh, there was a brief phase after all this where it didn't have a title, and then it eventually just reverted back to the original title, Talladega Nights. So it flip-flopped a little bit, but it ultimately ended up with where it started. The scene where Ricky and Jean Girard run on foot to the finish line was filmed prior to the driver intros for the 2005 Food World 300 Arca Remax series race. The cameras were set at specific angles so they didn't capture the cars lined up on pit road. Good song choice for that scene. Oddly enough, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. It worked in a it it yeah it worked. Yeah. Interesting. NASCAR drivers Jamie McMurray and Dale Earnhardt Jr. make cameos, as do broadcasting teams from NASCAR on Fox, Mike Joy, Larry McReynolds, and Daryl Waltrip, and NASCAR on NBC with Bill Weber, Wally Dollenbach Jr., and Benny Parsons. Cal, Ricky, and Gerard were introduced in full character during driver introductions at the 2005 UAW Ford 500 at Talladega. Ricky and Cal were cheered, but when Gerard was introduced as a driver from France driving the Perrier car, the entire crowd started booing without any prompting. <laughs> well, this was at a particular time in America where we weren't real thrilled with the French, I guess. Well, they they like their loud and proud Americans, you know, and yeah, that's exactly well, that's what Ricky and Cal not are, you know. Sure, yeah. Wonder Bread, Old Spice, and Perrier were not charged for their product placement in the movie, Old Spice and Wonder Bread promoted the movie through back-end deals, while Perrier was not required to take any action despite his presence. In addition, Will Ferrell showed up to a bunch of public appearances in his Wonder Bread uniform at no additional charge to the company. So, good on you, Will Ferrell. What about Fig Newtons? Uh, I didn't see, I didn't hear nothing on Fig Newton. I know, that I sticker on the windshield is so stupid. <laughs> this sticker like, was dangerous and inconvenient, but I do love Fig Newtons. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Yep. 
That's funny as hell, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching him too, trying to duck and dodge to vis- yeah. you know, get visibility. Wow. That's what hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's all I got, man, for behind the scenes. So you want to talk about life imitating art um, after this movie came out and then its popularity, of course, you know, with among Nax among NASCAR fans and, you know, even NASCAR racers and racing teams, um, you know, they it's, it, it's become one of their favorites. And on the final lap of the 2009 Aaron's 499, it's one of two races, actually, at the Talladega Super Speedway. Carl Edwards crashed after Brad Kozlowski made contact with his car. His car turned backwards, went airborne, bounced off, and crushed Ryan Newman's hood. It flew into the catch fence, and then it came to stop on the track apron. Pretty nasty wreck. At this point, his car was just beyond pit road exit, and this was when Kozlowski and Dylan Hart Jr. were crossing the finish line. Edwards climbed out of his car, and he jogged to the finish line. He received a standing ovation from the crowd, and Fox play-by-play commentator Mike Joy, who was in the movie, commented on how it was shades of Ricky Bobby. Edwards was later asked about this on his Larry King Live interview, and he responded, I'm kind of a Will Ferrell fan. Yeah, well, good good on him. I like that. That's pretty tasteful. cool. I didn't know that. That's pretty yeah. cool. As long as he and wasn't then, in danger of getting run over by a car while he's running to the finish line. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, in, in, in this movie, everybody else has crashed, so there was no... Yeah. No danger. Yeah, good point. I I didn't look it up, but yeah, pretty cool. And then at the 2012 Aaron's 499 at Talladega, Kurt Busch's unsponsored number 51 Phoenix Racing Chevrolet used Ricky Bobby's me paint scheme. Bush and his team were heard reciting movie lines over the team radio. He was running up front when contact from behind sent him spinning. Then in October 2013, his number 78 Furniture Row Racing Chevrolet was sponsored by Wonder Bread for the fall race at Talladega, and its paint scheme was based upon the Ricky Bobby number 26 car. So, that's pretty like, cool. I might have to check out it on YouTube. It might be fun. I'd like to yeah. hear him doing some of the quotes. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> pretty cool. That'd be pretty funny. With all due yep. respect, Lucius, I'm about to do some racing. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, so we get to race day, and uh, fucking Ricky Bobby shows up, and and they're all telling him this sob story about how Glenn died last night, and all he wanted us to tell you was that he wanted you to win, you know? I mean, they were really... Win one for the Gipper, yeah. Yeah, we're milking it. It's the Fix-It Felix guy. I can't... It's That's who he is. He's the Fix-It okay. Felix guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But he's funny. He, he's he's pretty funny in his movies. He's He plays that role very well. Yeah. And he does here too, but yeah, so he ends up popping out, and he's like, "Isn't that him right there?" And then he like totally spoils it. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh man, it's that's funny as hell. And he starts talking about like you know, like this car is like it's like your Excalibur. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, Glenn, everything cool that Susan had just said, you just ruined it. Right. <laughs> yeah, so we finally get the 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 big showdown between Ricky and Jean Girard and. Uh, before the race, also, we have a little bit of a confrontation with Ricky and Cal Naughton. Where, right. uh, you know, basically, Ricky's trying to make amends, and Cal Naughton's, he, he, Cal's confused by this. Yeah. You know? I don't know how to process this right now. I'm going to think about it. <laughs> I know, and it's crew she's like, well, I hate to add to your moral conflictions, but... <laughs> 
Yeah, dude, that's 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 great. It is so it's so funny. You know, it's this big build up to this race, and I I don't know. I kind of feel like to a certain degree it's a little rushed, but I don't know. I mean, what are you going to do? You're just going to add more racing, more drama to it. I mean, I don't know, but. I feel like it works well enough, and we already kind of talked about it there with the uh, Pat Benatar's We Belong playing sure. the Applebee's commercial break between the wreck. <laughs> Dude, that was, yeah. that had me rolling, just like those cars, man. Like, that, that was hilarious. That was perfect. Like, I was like, yes, that is my kind of comedy right there. That is great. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I like this finale. It's it's quirky. It's goofy. You know, you get the you know in the feels, and you're like, come on, get up in there. And you know, they they try to reminisce and do the slingshot. And oh yeah, yeah. It, I, I like this. I like this finale. I felt it was good enough. Um, I toyed with this because, like I said, I don't know. I guess I felt like I expected more, but I don't know what else I could have got to make it better. You know. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not perfect by any means, but yeah, it's pretty good, pretty funny. It was shot well. I mean, this the NASCAR race stuff that could have been, you know, a little hokey, but it felt as good as anything I'd seen on film to that point. Yeah, I mean, there was a NASCAR. You could see, you could see, and and I'm not saying necessarily in this last race, but there's a couple CGI shots where it's just like, yeah, that's CGI. <laughs> uh, you know, but for 2006, it's pretty not bad. You know, especially for a slapsticky Will Ferrell movie. Yeah. So this this was funny, and then Ricky comes out just by part of a hand. Then right. uh, whoever the commentator was, he's like, "Oh, it's like the most exciting finish in NASCAR history. It'll no way in any shape or form count." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but it. I don't know. It was cool. Like you start hearing that. The, the beginning of Pat Benatar playing, and you're just like, oh, my God, here yeah. we go. You know, and they're just busting an ass down this racetrack. It's over the top, but it's hysterical. And obviously, Sasha Baron Cohen, he's pretty famous for Borat. But before that, Diali G, you were a pretty big fan of him early on before uh, I even was you you brought him to my attention early on but I mean he, he's a pretty funny guy man and yeah. it, he, he plays this role well he was I would say just about perfectly cast for this yeah he's a he's a weird dude but man he's funny as hell and him and Will Ferrell neither one are ever afraid to make out with another man yep it's funny when 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 Gerard goes in for the second one, he's like oh no no, no. yeah <laughs> <laughs> one and done, oh, bro. Yeah. Well, you have anything here before uh, we go into our wrap-ups? We never did discuss his husband, Gregory. Not even once. No, we didn't. Oh, who was that guy, too? Adam, uh, Adam Rickman. Uh, Adam. Andy, Andy Richter. Andy Richter. Andy Richter. Yes. I was on the right track. He's been a ton of stuff. Wasn't he on Saturday Night Live at he one point Conan's, or something? He was Conan's co-host. Oh, Conan. Okay, yeah. that's he right. Conan's I knew it was some man. Right. I knew he was some late night something rather. Okay. I also remember him at the in the beginning of what was it, Scary Movie Two, where they're spoofing the Exorcist and he's playing oh, the yeah. piano. <laughs> Shake your <laughs> ass. Watch yourself. That's hilarious. Yeah. But uh this is a pretty good cast all around. I mean, obviously the trio of Farrell and Riley and Cohen, I mean, they carry this. I mean, even Gary Cole, I mean, I feel like you could put him in oh, there yeah. too. I mean, pretty damn solid. He's a top bloke. 
Do you like pro wrestling? Yeah. Are you tired of the same old recap podcast? Uh, duh. Do wrestling fans confuse you? More than you will ever know. Well, you're in luck. Join me, Mike J. And me, Mike S., every Saturday for the Drive-By Wrestling Podcast. Each week, we break down the ups and downs of main roster WWE and try to explain online fan outrage. And of course, we have the Wednesday Night War between NXT and AEW covered from our unique viewpoints. That's the Drive-By Wrestling Podcast every Saturday on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found. Still breaking hearts and breaking kayfabe. Uh, I guess that is what we say. It is. When you were a kid, did your dad ever let you take the wheel of the car and steer and drive a little bit? And if he did, about what age were you and what kind of car vehicle was it, if you remember? Not for more than, you know, 20 feet, maybe. Okay. Mm. Well, I I can't remember the first time it happened, but I would dare to say that it was in a Chevy Monte Carlo. But the most notable one that I got to drive was whenever I was with my dad when he was working, when he was driving semi, and he I didn't even sit down, I would just stand you know, between his legs and a lap where the steering column is. And he would control, you know, the gas and everything. And he would have, you know, he'd be right there. But I was driving a semi. And I was probably, I don't know, seven, eight years old. And that was the coolest fucking thing in the world. I was driving a semi. That was pretty, that was pretty badass. Oh, yeah. So... A little, and, a little uh, mayor trucker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's when I was like, you know, I don't be, I want to be a truck driver. You know, this is what I want to do. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, as far as like just driving, I don't mind driving. Driving's not bad. I can, I can do that. That's pretty cool. You know, I'm good with that. All right. So I know you already ranked it in your top five Will Ferrells, but what's your uh, final rating on this movie? Well, I kind of feel like this is a spoof of Days of Thunder of sorts, you know. Ricky Bobby is just a country redneck that's less verbally offensive than Kenny fucking Powers, which is Danny McBride from Eastbound and Down. They're both just arrogant, pompous asses that achieve greatness, lose their way, then work on finding their path back. And they ultimately mean well in their own weird way. But I, I, I don't know. I feel like these two characters are akin to a degree. Uh, this is an exceptional soundtrack, you know, with various genres and it works unexpectedly well. Like we talked about with uh, the finale scene with Pat Benatar, um, some other ones too, you know, uh, it's a good mixture. I I like it. Uh, another one thing I want to talk about was the end credit outtakes. Uh, those are great, uh, with the ads that they're trying to cut with snow blindness and cats, the McCready funeral service, the fruit candy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah and the the was it the packs of stray dogs that control most of our cities oh my yeah. god and so what was the one is like if you don't like big red well fuck you yeah. <laughs> oh man it's just it's good stuff but Will yeah, the, Ferrell, out, the oh, outtakes are there's uh more outtakes on the dvd too that are worth watching you can probably find oh, okay. them on youtube 
Oh, okay. But, uh, well, I'll look in for that. They're they're all really worthy outtakes. Okay, I love outtakes, man. Yeah. But yeah, Will Ferrell, John C. Riley, they own their scenes, and Sasha Baron he There's a nice sprinkling in of his offbeat humor, and between those three, they make this movie work and they hold it together. But you know. The supporting cast, it's no slouch either, though. I mean, Gary Cole, who I feel like doesn't get enough credit as an actor, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. His portrayal of Mike Brady in the Brady Bunch movies they did in the 90s, proper. Yeah. Very proper. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. That's that's how I got introduced to Gary Cole. And then he's done some other stuff and, you know, seeing him do some ridiculous things. It's it's, it's kind of fun, you know, seeing him play this role as Reese Bobby. He plays it well. I like it. But, I mean, Jane Lynch, Michael Clark Duncan again, Amy Adams, Leslie Bibb, they all handle themselves nicely beside Farrell and Riley and Cohen. But, yeah, kind of like I said, you know, much like Adam Sandler movies, Will Ferrell – you know, his movies, for me at least, they're hit and miss. When they're hitting, it's great. When they're missing, it's borderline awful. And, uh, you know, like I said, when this was coming out, I was curious about it, and it had bust written all over it, but I was wrong. And uh, it's far from his worst. It's not his best. Like I said, it's grown on me as time's gone by with more rewatches. It's not going to get the stamp. I'm at a 7 out of 10 on this. Very enjoyable movie. There's things that you know, kind of fall short as far as expectations are concerned. And, but yeah, I, I I'm not going to poo poo on this movie really, you know, yeah. but yeah, this is a nice selection. It was a nice pairing with dumb and dumber. Good call King. Well, Lord Ketchum, who typically has good taste in movies is only spotted. This is a 7.5 also, which is higher than your rating, but again, not good enough for the stamp. Yeah. Uh, but all out. And according to Ricky Bobby, Highlander won an Academy Award for Best Movie Ever Made. John Gerard watched it and thought otherwise. It's not yeah. first. Yeah, John Gerard thought it was cockapoo-poo. Yeah. You can go all the way back to episode two, and you can hear what we had to say about it, too. <laughs> yeah, it's not last. <clears throat> but anyway, as far as race car movies go, this is probably first for me. If, if I was going to make a top ten race movies, I'd put this above Days of Thunder. I don't oh. think it's I don't think it's as much a spoof as it is a comedic tribute to the sport. The scene at the dinner table aside, <laughs> this is a movie you can almost watch with the family. I mean, yeah, you get some couple gross out scenes, but nothing extreme. So, right. Well, it's PG thirteen. Yeah, yeah, it's almost <laughs> a family watch. Nearly there. I guess um, old school would be the first time I. Really enjoyed Will Ferrell in a in a solo movie. Was that his first the one? Tank. Uh, it was among as far as like big time. I mean, because I know he did like Superstar, and he had some smaller, yeah. almost like cameo, you know, parts and other yeah, movies. Yeah, Night at the Roxbury. Okay. I, yeah. Well, honestly, I'd say probably Night at the Roxbury was probably the first one. To be honest with you. Yeah. That now that you sense. mention it. Yeah. That and that's that's what the typical path of a Saturday Night Live star is to start out with one of their characters from the show that was a hit. Yeah, but uh, well, he was in Austin Powers. Yeah, he was Mustafa. Was after this, I think. No, that was before. Was Austin it? Austin Powers was not like that was like '97, man. Yeah, Talladega Nights is the one that really, to me, was his launching pad. 
And so it's stuck in there for me as one of his top movies, and it's definitely one of my top three favorites. I give this an 8 out of 10. Yeah, I mean, it's, like I said, I'm, I'm not poo-pooing on this movie, but, I, I mean, I'm, I'm recognizing for what it is, and there's some things I have hang-ups with, but, no, it, 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 this is a good Will Ferrell movie. Yeah. This is definitely one that I would recommend, like, if you're going to watch the best of Will Ferrell, even though it's not in my top five, this, this is, you got to see this movie. Sure. Yeah, this is must-see, essential Will Ferrell. So you would say Step Brothers is better than Talladega Nights? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Step okay. Brothers is my number three. Okay. Well, yeah, you that's, already did that's, that. Yeah, that's, that's the best Will Ferrell, John C. Riley movie there is to me. Yeah. Yeah, they're both good, though. I don't know. I They're fun. That's a fun one, pair. 1A, 1B. I don't know. I mean, I can't speak for Holmes and Watson, but I've heard horrible things, Ooh. and I'm not even going to bother. I've watched it. It didn't Did get you? brought up. It didn't get brought up tonight, so that tells you something there. That tells you a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It should. That's funny. All right. Well, doesn't get the stamp, but well-reviewed, well-regarded from uh, yeah. the NHP boys. So. The, king, the right. king gave it a stamp, so that means it's, yeah. you know, that means it's a yeah. great movie. We were, we were all right there, seven, seven and a half, eight, <laughs> all right there in that wheelhouse. Well, all right, let's let's uh, let's move on to some of these uh, recent watches, some things we've gotten into here lately outside of uh, review and stuff for the show. What do you got into here lately, King? There's a show on Hulu, uh, Kid 90. It's a documentary about Punky Brewster after her fame. Well, not Punky Brewster, or Soleil Moon Fry, but yeah. everybody knows her as Punky Brewster. Right. Man, that was such an iconic role for me. Like, evening TV was Punky Brewster, and Night Court would come on later. Dad would watch that. But, like, I don't know. I just remembered in that early day lineup of shows we always watched, and Knight Rider, and A-Team, and Magnum P.I., and Punky Brewster was in there. So, yeah. it's something I, you know, grew up on, and, uh, you know, kid crushed on her as a kid, you know. Oh, yeah. Age type thing, so... Yeah, I did. I was I was one of the many. Yeah. Yeah. But so seeing this and, and seeing that kind of like missing era of her life that she wasn't basically left Hollywood. She did a couple shitty movies <laughs> like, what was it, Pumpkinhead 2? Pumpkinhead uh, 2. She did the Piranha remake. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. The Hulu documentary shows a lot of like nostalgic 90s footage that she had kept locked away you know for years she used to camcord herself at parties and different things and she was running around hobnobbing with some of the hollywood elite you know in their youth and yeah just very candid stuff where people weren't it was a different age you know weren't you weren't being recorded like like everybody is nowadays with their phone right ringing. so yeah. it wasn't like a big deal like you know oh she's got her camcorder that's cool you know and they'd joke and laugh around I don't know. It just brought back a lot of memories from my own age at that time and seeing someone else's perspective in the Hollywood scene. It was it was neat. Gave me the feels. I I have to agree with you because I ended up getting to this because you recommended it to me and Janelle and I ended up watching this and she didn't like it nearly as much as I did. But uh yeah, I'm with you, man. Like how are you talking about like just the word that came to mind for me was raw. It was very raw. And just knowing what ended up happening to a fair amount of you know people that she was friends with or acquaintances with that mm. ended up taking their lives at a young age for what for, you know for various reasons, 
and you know having some of these conversations and these candid one-on-ones recorded or filmed and seeing you know what were potentially telltale signs that were just missed um yeah man just really gut-wrenching stuff and you know i feel like there's a certain amount of survivor's guilt you know with her and you know, it was really cool seeing some of with some of the other actors and actresses that she was with, with Mark Paul Gosseler, with Stephen Dorff, David Arquette. Yeah, it was it was a really interesting watch. I think it was. It, I mean, I don't even think it's an hour and twenty minutes long, um, but I recommend it too. It was. I I I think I have it at an eight out of ten. I recommend it a good bit. Very nostalgic. Um, very real. Yeah. And and one thing that I really appreciated is whenever uh, she would play some of this footage or audio back to, you know, whoever she was with at the time, just the embarrassment and the, you know, just their reactions to hearing, you know, who they were at, you know, a young age. And some of it was embarrassment. Some of it was, you know, just it was hilarious. Yeah, it it was pretty cool. I recommend it. If If you're... A kid of that time, I recommend watching this. One last thing, I uh, I got to a little bit of a 80s horror YouTube binge. Some of the ones I thought were worth mentioning that I would say, if you haven't seen, check these out. Uh, the Dorm That Dripped Blood from 82, Mania and Trick or Treat, both from 1986, and American Gothic from 1987. I, I, I Those were entertaining. Those were enjoyable movies. But uh, a few that I really wanted to kind of just mention a little bit more in depth uh, that I also recommend was uh, I got the Alligator finally from 1980 with Robert Forrester. Dude, I'm going to tell you, that was a fun-ass creature feature flick, man. Total Jaws ripoff in an urban setting. But, dude, I'm going to tell you, I mean, you could see it's cheesy as hell, but the part where it comes up out from underneath – the sidewalk. Yep. I mean, you can tell that's all miniature, but dude, it's so good. It's so good. You know, and it's actually, it's directed by the same guy, Louis Teague that did Cujo. And, uh, no, I've really enjoyed it, man. Have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah. I saw it. I can forgive it. If it's, it's, uh, uh, bad special effects with the alligator. Um, oh, I didn't think it was bad though. Well, I thought that it was good, especially for 1980, dude. I'm nitpicking. I'm saying there is scenes that are bad. There, there's a couple of scenes that are bad with the alligator, but for the most part, they did they did their best. And uh, yeah, I forgive it for any okay any minor hiccups with that. Uh, yeah, this was a pretty good story. It, it was kind of you know obnoxious that they're not believing the. You know, the lead here the whole time, he's telling him there's an alligator. With the thinning hair. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're acting like he's full of shit, and I don't know. Uh, but that's the trope. Flimsy, but... Yeah. Nah, it works well enough, man. Yeah, it does. I I, I appreciated the, the effects. Robert Forster was awesome in it, and now I, I really liked it. I'll throw, a, uh, I'll throw a seven on this one. Oh, yeah, seven all day. No worse than a seven. It could go up. Uh, Another one was Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker from 82, which was also known as Night Warning, uh, which that 
title doesn't make sense because it almost makes it sound like it's a sci-fi flick, and it's not. But this Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker is – I think it's kind of a silly name. But this movie is pretty twisted, kind of fucked yeah. up. You get a young Bill Paxson in a supporting role. Uh, all I'm going to say is Susan Tyrell as Aunt Cheryl. Uh, wow. If for nothing else, watch this movie for her performance alone. Yeah, she killed She it. goes off the rails, batshit crazy, and it is entertaining as hell to watch it all unravel. It it is it is fun. Uh, another one. It's not really so much horror, but uh, it was one that I really wanted to see. It was called Hunter's Blood from '86. This has got a great cast. Uh, I don't know why, but this movie super connected with me. I like this story. It was kind of a one part deliverance, one part wrong turn, a little bit with '80s campiness, you know, and cheese thrown in. Uh, no, I, I, I thought this was a fun movie. Definitely worth a watch. Uh, check it out if you haven't. The last one here is something that you wanted me to especially bring up, and it's not really horror either, but it's Summer Camp Nightmare from 1987. <laughs> and the reason why you wanted me to bring this up especially, because I wasn't going to, but my rating on this, <laughs> compared to what your rating is on this, are very much out of whack. Uh, and I and I recognize that I gave it a little bit more because I recognize that if I would have saw this whenever it it come out or shortly thereafter when I was you know a young kid I could see where I would have liked this movie it's kind of Lord of the Flies in a way at summer camp in the eighties um, Chuck Connors is in it and he's the new camp uh, I don't know what do you call him the the, the camp leader and uh, Shitty performance. Some, some kids don't really care for him too much, and they kind of take things in their own hands, and things get out of they get out of hand. And yeah. uh, for being PG thirteen, uh, there's some pretty I don't know, man. There's some pretty bold things that went on there. I mean, you know, we got some murder, we got some rape, we got a little revolution and uprising. Mm. Yeah, interesting movie. I, and I'm giving it a six out of ten, and that and I feel like that's where I'm going to stay with it because. I did appreciate the campiness. I, I love the setting, uh, you know, the the uprising of, you know, the kids versus the adults. That's that's an interesting concept to me. It's always been interesting to me, you know, just basically revolting against authority. Um, but, yeah, I, I I like it more than it should. I mean, it's not a great movie by any means, but... Uh, what were you at with this? Because I know you're a dissenter. <laughs> this is an example to me of a great title, great movie cover art, shitty yeah. movie. It's just okay. what it is to me. This is like There's a three. No, <laughs> no redeeming factors at all with it. I don't have any desire to rewatch it. I mean, I suppose if I'd watched everything, I've already planned on watching the rest of my life, and and you know, was going back to review things that deserve reviewing it would be you know pretty low on that list okay all right probably yeah, never gonna watch it again is what i'm saying okay <laughs> i could see myself you know at some point like you know i i i could see myself watching it again yeah that's what but, you know that's me but that's uh that was my uh little uh 80s youtube binge i went into so all right. Yeah, there's some there's some good stuff for free on YouTube that a lot comes in high quality and 
Yes. Good enough for the Postal Service. Right. Well, the American Gothic uh, cut that I watched, I mean, that was a Blu-ray rip. I was surprised. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was crystal clear. Uh, now, some of these were, I could, you could tell they were VHS rips, but there were some, um, like I think uh, Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker, and uh, what was it? Oh, Trick or Treat. I think those were DVD rips. Mm. Okay. So, a little bit better quality. So, I got something. It's not really a movie review, but uh, I think it fits into the fact that we've reviewed a specific movie that this person had a huge part of. We found out this week that Ronald DeFeo died. Oh, yeah. And if anybody doesn't know who Ronald DeFeo is, he's the murderer of the, the DeFeo family and the Amityville Horror. Right. Before the Lutz family moved in and then the paranormal, in quotes, oh, yeah. paranormal, all that started to happen. But, yeah. yeah, before all that, there was actually pretty grisly and horrific murders that took place in that house. And uh, this was the guy that did it. Have you seen any interviews with him from prison and stuff over the years? Very little. Um, I do have – I bought it years ago. It was the original Amity the – the first three Amityville movies, yeah. and it had uh, Amityville Confidential was a fourth DVD in it, which was two History Channel documentaries that were episodes of – I can't remember what they were, but this was early yeah. History Channel, and they had a lot of audio – with uh, Ronald DeFeo on there and some of the things that he was talking about. And I want to ask you, because obviously I know you are a massive Amityville horror fan of the original movie. And you've, you've been, you've seen the the house there on uh, ocean Avenue. And I'm curious because I don't think we really got into this when we did the review of Amityville horror. DeFeo says the devil made him do it. You know, he heard voices. Uh, what What's your take on this? I mean, what happened there? I mean, obviously, he murdered his family. I mean, but, I mean, I guess, I, I what, where are you at? I mean, are you more with the supernatural, or are you, you know, going more with just logic-based? Man, he, he admitted to taking LSD and and drinking that night, and, I mean, who knows what else? Probably some cocaine, I mean... Cocaine's a hell of a drug. I suppose you, you've heard that. Um, this guy yeah. is not. I don't know. I don't. I don't believe that there's a possession. I think the guy was fucked up and did some, you know, sick, stupid shit one night and had to pay for it for the rest of his life. And his whole family lost their life for it. It's sad, uh, but I don't think it was anything more than that. I'm with you on it. I mean, because I've he's seen also, things. I mean, he was he was into drugs. He was into smoking yeah. dope and doing you know experiment with different things. And yeah, it definitely sounds like he was under the influence of one or numerous things and couldn't handle his shit. And yeah, like you said, he did some extremely awful things, unforgivable things, and. The thing that I think that is the most interesting about all this, because I don't buy into that, you know, there was an actual haunting of this house. I don't believe that the devil possessed him to murder his family. But the one thing, and we've talked about this, that I think is interesting and noteworthy about this that I really can't come up with an explanation for is each of his family members, mother, father, 
two sisters and a brother, is that correct? Mm-hmm. All murdered, shot, in the back, face down, in their beds. Unmoved. And they weren't unmoved. They weren't disturbed. They weren't moved there, positioned. I mean, this is where, the, yeah. as is, okay? Nobody moved. Nobody heard this this gun going off these four or five, however many times. Very odd. Yeah, I really, I cannot come up with an explanation for that. And for that reason alone, that makes the story. That's why this story has legs. That's why we're still talking about it today. Yeah. To me, at least. No, that's the most compelling argument for anybody that believes that, you know, something paranormal happened here. I mean, right. yeah, I can't explain that. You know, nobody can explain that. That doesn't make sense. And the houses next door st- are close. I mean, yes, it's very, they're very close quarters. And I mean, I know they said that there was like a, there was a storm that night, but uh, ah, still, I don't know. I don't know. Hell that's of enough a storm. Cover. Right. And a yeah. hell of a storm would wake me up too if it was that bad. So, right. Yeah, it's hard to, man. Yeah. I don't know. But he's flip flopped on his stories through the years too. I mean, right. And, yeah. And even, you know, there's, there's you know, knowledge of him being involved in drugs before this. He was, you know, in some in some run-ins with the law over it before that. Part th- uh, part two, the Amityville two movie kind of chronicles his story to a to an exaggerated measure, but loosely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing that I did hear another. There's a theory that uh, that. DeFeo's father, I can't remember what his name is, that uh, there was mob ties. Like, you know, maybe this was like a mob hit. Yeah. You know, do you buy into any of that at all? Or you just think that's more fodder for the the campfire? Okay. Okay. I was just curious. Wasn't his dad Ronald, too? Ronald Sr. and Jr.? Well, yeah, that would be right if he's Ronald DeFeo Jr. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, they called him Ronnie. They called him Ronnie. Yes, okay. Like the Metallica song. Lost my <laughs> way. That really fits if you think about it. Yeah, it really did. Yeah, actually, as soon as I said it, I was just like, ooh, wow, that really <laughs> works. Yeah. That gun from his pocket and they all fell down. Ah, that's creepy, dude. I never thought of that. Damn. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I might have invented a nugget. <laughs> that's that's a nugget. That's a nugget right there. <laughs> okay. By default, that's a nugget. Well, Mayor, I'm not gonna let you slip off into the night without first telling me how the uh, the trip went, man. You was you was in Florida and went to the horror convention. Yeah. So, yeah let's let's right. hear about a little of that. Yeah. Uh, did the Tampa Bay Screams horror convention? They had not many guests. Uh, the only noteworthy ones, like I said, was Lisa Wilcox from Nightmare 4 and 5, and Marilyn Eastman from the original Night of the Living Dead, John Dugan, who played Grandpa Sawyer in the original Texas Chainsaw. Adrian, uh, before we left, she ended up fracturing her pinky finger at softball practice, so she's been in a splint and it's been wrapped, mm. and he was getting ready to sign your pretty lady Leatherface print. And she was holding it flat because I had it in a tube, and he saw her pinky was wrapped. He's like, oh, what happened? And she told him, and they uh, ended up sharing finger injury stories where he ended up 
busting his finger when he was drunk playing volleyball. <laughs> and he's, he said that uh, his hand swelled up so bad that it was so shiny that he said he could see his own face and the reflection of the swelling of his hand. Oof. And uh, yeah, yeah. But he he raved about your artwork. Absolutely. He was like, tell your friend that this is amazing work. And I said, I surely will. I said, and he will be delighted to hear it. So stop. <laughs> so, so grandpa Sawyer is a fan. That's cool. And, uh, but no, he was a super cool guy. Um, honestly, he was the most chatty of everybody. Lisa Wilcox. She was an absolute sweetheart. She really was. Um, was she was actually that? the first, um, honestly, I'm not sure, but I mean, she looked good. You sent a picture. She's still a honey. Yeah. Yeah, she looked good, man, and she was super nice, and she was super polite with Adrian, and, um, you know, she offered to, like, do you guys want to get a picture? And I was like, well, yeah, sure. And she said, well, that would actually, you know, it'd be 10 more. And I was like, okay, fine, no problem. And I was already settling on it that well, we we're going to have masks on. And I was kind of like, Ugh. And as soon as that thought went through my head, she said, if you guys want to take your mask off for this picture, she's like, I'm totally okay with that. And Marilyn Eastman was the last one to get there. And she, man, she's so, she was so old and crazy as it is. She was like one of the only people that she wasn't wearing a mask at all. Hmm. It was really surprising. Um, I made sure that I told her that, uh, the three of us made our, uh, trek to Monroeville and Evan city and, you know, Hell did yeah. the thing, and she was like, oh, that's, you know, she said, that's so awesome. And I said, honestly, I was like, it was like a pilgrimage for us. She was so soft-spoken. It was so hard to hear what she had to say, but it was just, it was just really cool. She, her banner behind her, it had, you know, all of everybody from the original cast signatures on there, you know, even, you know, ones that have passed on, and it, it was just, it was super cool. But compared to Horror Hound, this was a very, very small convention. The back, the, the middle room that's in between the auditoriums where they have the Q&As and the big main room at, in, in, uh, at Sharonville, that little middle room where they have like the tattoos and all that kind of stuff, yeah. that was about the size of this whole thing. But it was a cool little convention. It was nice. How much was the mission? Uh, just for what we did, uh, prepay before, you know, at the door, I think it was 15 a person. Okay. There's one guy, I was wearing, uh, my, uh, monster mail shirt from Halloween shirt company. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he was like, dude, where'd you get that shirt? And I told him and he, uh, he had a whole wall of like stuffed Mothman, like stuffed animals. Oh yeah. And I was just like, man, even in fucking Orlando, Florida, we cannot get away from the Mothman, you know? So that was really cool. And yeah. uh Mothman's one of the cooler cryptids. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, and I'm figuring that out. It's not just around here in our area in the Mid Ohio Valley and it's yeah. It's nationwide. It's yeah. it's a it's a it's a phenomenon. Yeah. I'm I'm a member of the state that owns him, so he's right. mine. He's mine. <laughs> Hashtag mine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, before you get too uh, far away from this, uh, wasn't Camille Keaton there? Yes, she was, and um, I did not visit her, but okay. um, when we were walking by her, she was standing out, and yeah, as we walked by, she was like, hello, and I was like, hi, how are you, and 
I mean, it was just very polite. Oh, I did have a nice little conversation with Lynn Lowry, though, who okay. was in Cronenberg's The Shivers and Romero's The Original, The Crazies. Well, in the remake, actually. Oh, I never and, heard of it. Oh, okay. Well, uh, <laughs> any, have you have you really not? Are you? No, just, I'm not. I've not. No, I've not. Okay. I've not heard of her. Well, okay. I've heard well, of Camille Keaton, though. Okay. I'm shaming uh, you publicly for missing Camille Keaton, but go ahead with I. I didn't miss her. Well, I seen her. Had I a casual, kind-worded conversation with her. In passing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, I actually had a legit conversation with Lynn Lowry, and I got to kind of rave on about the original crazies from Romero, because when I watched it the very first time, it was right before all this pandemic COVID-19 stuff happened. And then after it did happen, it was just kind of like, shit, you know, it's just it, very kind of a surreal thing. And when I shared with her that I thought that it was genius instead of making the infected people actually look like zombies and they're undead or whatever, that they were just normal people. They just it was all on behavior and their actions. And I really enjoyed that. And the remake didn't follow that that sentiment that Romero went with in the original and she agreed with me. I mean, and I kind of figured she would, but, um, it was actually a really cool conversation. Uh, just a couple minutes, but it was, it was still neat. I, I still, it doesn't matter how big, how small of a, you know, Hollywood movie star you are, you know, you take the time and you're going to actually gonna have a conversation with me. I, I gobble that shit up and, you know, and I get a little starstruck and it's it's cool. It's fun. But no, I mean, for a very, you know, for a small, you know, convention, it was pretty tight. One thing that kind of caught me off guard for one second, they had a statue of Captain Spaulding with like the welcoming sign and everything. Adrian and I, we got a picture standing by Captain Spaulding. And I noticed on the picture, there was a picture of Tamara Glenn, who was the hot blonde friend of Tina's in Halloween 5. Oh, I don't presume I don't know who Tamara Glenn is. Go ahead, though. Okay, well, no, I'm just, this is for the listeners. This isn't uh, for yeah. you. <laughs> well, yeah, but a minute ago, you, you named some no-name actress and said, you know, you were starstruck. Oh, but now you're talking boy, about I, Tamara Glenn as if nobody knows who she is. Um, I hope the listeners lynch you for this. <laughs> but no, it had her on there. And I'm like, I found the guy that was like running the deal. And I was like, is Tamara Glenn supposed to be here? And he's like, well, she was supposed to be, but because of COVID, she canceled. So she's not. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like relieved. And he's like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, no. I was like, I'm relieved. I said, because if she was going to be here, I was like, I was going to be kind of pissed because I would have had her sign uh, my Halloween five that I had Danielle Harris sign at horror hound a couple years ago. So she was originally supposed to be there, but she canceled. So, yeah, but, uh, yeah, that was, uh, the Tampa screams horror convention, man. It was, it was cool. It was, it was nice. It was nice to finally get back out, albeit a smaller scale. I still got the feels like, Oh, I'm in my place, you know, yeah. I'm where I belong. I'm okay. super excited for this uh, steel con coming up here in a couple months. It's in Monroeville. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm interested in that too. Uh, I'm interested in just going to one of these smaller ones because I think you'll get more of an opportunity to enjoy yourself when you don't have so much to look at and so much to see and do that you don't have time or money for all of it. Right. So, you know, you don't have to pick your spot. No, no, that's a good point. I mean, that's valid, man, because, it, it was definitely, oh, wow, 
this is yeah. not horror hound weekend, you know. Right. Um, but no, it, it was fun. I really enjoyed it. Adrian enjoyed herself. She's still talking about talking yeah. to Grandpa Sawyer. Well, check out our good friends Aaron and Justin over at Raised in Horror, the Psycho Siblings podcast, where they review all things horror all the time. For next month, the Psycho Siblings are doing a little bit of the occult. They're talking about a pair of 2016 flicks. On the 8th, they're reviewing the Autopsy of Jane Doe from Andre Overdahl, who directed Troll Hunter, which we just reviewed about a month and a half ago on episode 51. So check that out if you haven't already. And on the 22nd, they are reviewing The Void, which is a movie that has been in my watch list for over a year now. So I'm kind of hoping that maybe this will give me the motivation to finally watch it before they release this episode. So then I can listen to it without you know getting anything spoiled. So, yeah, hopefully that will happen before that then. But uh, you got to give them a listen if you haven't already. You can follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Raised in Horror. Find them now on your favorite podcasting app, Horror Movie Fans. All right, Hitchhikers, this concludes our review of Talladega Nights, the ballad of Ricky Bobby from 2006. Be on the lookout for new announcements and updates on our Facebook page, Nostalgia Highway Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at HighwayNHP. You can check out our letterbox profiles. The King's is Patriarch1979, and mine is Matlog16. You can give us a follow if you want. We'll follow you back. We just love seeing what everybody else is watching, so check out the Letterboxd app if you haven't already. It's great. And last but not least, we want to give recognition and thanks to Sean Jackson and Cody Jones for the theme music they have composed for the show. Join us next time where we open up April with what we're calling Opposites Attract Month. Basically how this is going to go, the King's going to pick a movie that he really enjoys that just so happens to be a movie that I don't really enjoy. And then for the following movie, I'm going to do the same. I'm going to pick something that I really like and that the King doesn't really like. But to kick this all off in two weeks, I don't know. Well, King, you tell him. Oh, I'm on deck for the next movie, huh? Yeah. All right. I'm going to go with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990. Oh, my. Mm. We have had discussions about this, and I would dare to say that this might have been, I mean, with recent memory, this may have been the most offended I think you have been with a movie that when I you figured out my rating on it I think if we would have been face to face I think you would have socked me in the face we'd have been going in the backyard I think so I mean I'd have fixed you a steak or something first but <laughs> still respect well, you, but we're going to the backyard make sure it's medium <laughs> medium you toss back a couple beers first right numb uh, the pain I, I, I am just yeah I was befuddled I will use that word, that you weren't as interested in this as you should have been, and for that, we need to discuss it in an open forum. I have a feeling you're on your own on this one. I mean, the the listeners out there are on my side with this. There's no doubt about it. (laughs) Can't change my mind. I don't know, man. You may be right. You may be right on this. but uh, So you got something else on your end that uh, you think the viewers will be on your side about? I do. Uh, do you want to go ahead? I mean, we want to go ahead and just tell it all right now. We're going to give all of all, all of April. Might as well. No, no sense okay. leaving them hanging here. All right. Well, I think for the movie I'm going to pick that will release later on in April will be John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China from 1986. Oh, yeah, one of John Carpenter's 20 best movies. 
Ow! Hey! 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 It's one of What's his 20 best you? movies. Hey! It's in, the, it's in the top 20, man. Oh. See, and now, this is where I say, I think I'm in the majority here, and you're off on an island by yourself, friend. Uh, I mean, you know, it's in the top 20. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. I don't think no. it should be any higher than 10, but whatever. Okay. I tell you, man, the, I think these are going to be two pretty damn interesting reviews, man, because this is something we've never done, because usually, you know, we're... You know, pretty close for the most part, but we are intentionally sabotaging the review. Yeah. To where there's going to be conflict, so yeah. this should make for some uh, pretty cool conversation and arguments. So I'm looking forward to that. But in two weeks, it will be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990 for episode 55 on April 13th. Yeah, I'll make sure I'm there for those dates. I am Dave King of the Road, and I am the Mayor Matt Logson signing off. And we thank you once again for hitching a ride along with us, and we'll pick you up next time out on the highway. I'll need to get a copy of a uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. So, <laughs> yeah, well, they got one at the fucking gas station, at the Walmart, at the fucking Kroger. <laughs> you go to, I think uh, that I know that Cashland right in front of the Kroger has probably ten copies of it. I mean, give me a fucking break. Fair why enough. you? Do, why you don't own this movie? Unreal. Because because I don't. Because I'm a I'm a horrible person. <laughs> All right, fair. I guess. I'll allow that. That's a fair answer. I'll give you a little more credit now. But I'm well, still that... I'm still gonna publicly shame you for not going and seeing old girl from a spit on your grave. I didn't have anything. Yeah. For the song. I had the D V D years that's... ago and I don't know what happened to it, so That's a dumb excuse. I didn't have anything <laughs> Fucking Camille Keaton, man. I should have had her sign my tits. There you go. <laughs> you always got something for him to sign, see? You can go even further if you want to. Oh, man. Well, I'm not going to Mike Honcho it, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>